Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And today we have a great interview with Elena Johnson. She is a super prolific author. Yep. And she writes in um, Christian Cowboy Romance and Clean and Wholesome. Mm-hmm. And those are uh, a little bit smaller genres. Mm-hmm. So uh, we picked her brain on how she is doing so well. And she gave us lots of tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's the rapid release queen for sure. So if you're, yeah. if you're interested in rapid release, she's the one to listen to. Yeah. So it's a really good interview and yeah. it's got lots of information. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So what's been going on with you this week? Uh, well, I am, um, I finished my book for the second time. I, I realized I went back and I realized I'd had a murder. And then the next day, the inquest and the funeral. And I was like, Oh, that wouldn't really happen. So I had to go back yeah. and put some time in there. Cause you know, when yeah. you're writing, it takes so long to yes, get, yes. I feel like it's been like a week. And it's only been like yeah. two hours or something. Yeah, story exactly. <laughs> so I had to fix that. And, uh, but then I, I'm doing what you did with this. You, you're sending the serial mm-hmm. short story to your readers. Mm-hmm. And so since I have a new release coming up, I'm, I took like uh, probably about the first 25% of the book, the first, mm-hmm. I think, five or six chapters. Mm-hmm. And I'm just emailing it to my my newsletter peeps, like just a chapter at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm doing it like I started, I'm doing like a Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And that way they'll, they'll just get it kind of spread out. And they're loving it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's going really well. I've never yeah. tried that before. Yeah. You know, the first person I heard do that was Elizabeth Ann West. She writes... Um, uh, Jane Austen mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, fiction, and um, I'm probably not saying that right. Sorry, Elizabeth Ann, but um, she sends out like I think almost all the book. Well, she did all of the book to her newsletters, you know, like a chapter at a time, mm-hmm. and she still, you know, sells a lot of books, and she sells them for a very high price. So um, I think people. They like it, but they also want the book because they don't want to just read the book and, you know, a whole book in a newsletter. So, yeah, yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm glad it's working for you because I'm excited about my serial. The second chapter goes out this week. So that will be good. Yeah, the the serial is called uh, Love, Quarantine and Other Inconveniences. And that's a great uh, title. So, yeah, so it should be fun. You know, it's just going to be a sh- like a novella sort of thing that I'm putting out to my newsletter. Uh, but I finished a book this week. Which uh, is, so, yay. Oh, my gosh, y'all. Is, y'all. This, what, this is an achievement, right? It is an achievement. And, I mean, I'm a slow writer anyway. <laughs> and I've debated on whether what to say about this, but I'm just going to be real and, if, you know, whatever. Um We had, uh, my nephew died in May of this past year, and I've I've mentioned it before other places, but, um, and that was just 
kind of devastating. I didn't actually start this book until August, but you know, you think with grief, okay, it's been three months or it's been four months. I'm done, and but you're not really done grieving. And then uh, we, my daughter um, got pregnant and that was exciting, but also, you know, just a little wrench in our, all our plans. And um, then our family had um, a big loss. Um, my daughter uh, and son-in-law, they foster children and um, the children they had went back to their parents, which is great. That's what we wanted. And we knew they were going back, but it's still a huge loss because we love those kids. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, we miss them. And so it was just kind of one thing after another, after another, and it just built up. And in about November, I just hit the wall and for almost two months, I didn't write a month and a half. And so, I really did not know if this book was going to get written. I mean, I have a cover. It's a great concept. It's every, but you know, life is just life. And there are people that um, the way they cope with difficult things is to dive in and just push through. And I think that's awesome. But there are a lot of people that can't do that. And I'm one of those people. And so, and then with all of this, quarantine stuff that's going on um that's added another layer of complexity so for me to finish is just a huge it's just yeah. huge it's just a huge accomplishment yeah. but I, I posted something on my facebook page though about this whole situation about how people cope so i finished the book and then for two days i didn't you know practice any of these socially acceptable personal hygiene um, <laughs> because you know i just was done I was like, exactly <laughs> So, you know, we all deal with stuff differently. But, yeah, yeah the book's at the developmental editor, and I should be back this week. And, so, and that's we'll so see. great. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. And it is. It and is. Then, and, you know, oh, go ahead. It makes me think of when we talked to Kate, and she talked mm-hmm. about how sometimes if you go through something stressful and, like, you, the emotions and stuff you had kind of attached to that book, and it's mm-hmm. really hard. And sometimes yeah. you go back and finish. Yeah, so I think it is. it's really good. I mean, I'm sure you'll be glad later on that mm-hmm. that book is done and, yeah. you know, that you're, you'll be really happy it's out. But I know it right. had, you had a lot of, like, stress. Yeah, just there was really. a lot going on with that. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is that life is just like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully no one will experience, you know, a death and then another loss that sort of felt like a death, you know, in some ways. And uh, it was definitely a grieving process. And uh, so hopefully people don't go through that. But if you do, you just know yeah, you yeah. do the best you can. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think with indie authors, um, we put a lot of pressure on each book. And especially for me, because I don't write fast, each mm-hmm. release sort of counts. And um, But the fact is, those books are yours. They're going to be in the world. You can, you can make those work for you anytime you decide to make them work for you. So, right. um, but it's hard to see that with all the noise right. that's going on. We get so focused on like what we're doing right now mm-hmm. and like the new thing. And mm-hmm. we forget, you know, to kind of take the longer yeah. picture. So hopefully yeah. that's one reason we're yeah. doing this podcast is like to right. help, exactly. help exactly. both of us do that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the mm-hmm. listeners too will yeah. get a little more perspective. Right. Right. So it, with that, let's get on with the podcast. Sounds good. Hi, Elena. How are you? We're doing great. How are you guys? We're great. We're so glad to have you here today. 
in the midst of all the craziness. Yeah, it's a little crazy, but you know, I only have one kid at home. And so my husband's still going to work. So it's still pretty quiet for me. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's Not a good. lot's changed. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Normalcy is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about the genres you write in. Okay. So I write um, in clean and wholesome romance under my name, Elena Johnson. And then I write some inspirational Christian cowboy romance under a pen name of Liz Isaacson. Okay. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, Elena started in traditional publishing in 2000. Well, I signed with my first agent in 2009. Um, and my first book came out in 2011. And those were um, young adult dystopian novels. Oh, so, no. And they're still up and they're still in print, which is... I don't want to say it's amazing, but it's kind of an anomaly to have a book in print that long and be able to get it mm-hmm. still. I mean, they're not on mm-hmm. shelves at Barnes and Noble, but mm-hmm. um, it hasn't gone out of print yet, which is kind of cool. So you can still find those on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and things like that online. Mm-hmm. Um, but my main brand for Elena is um, the clean romance, which I kind of took me quite a while to transition over to that. I transitioned over to that in like 2017. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's only been a couple of years for her. Yep. That's cool. when we met at, uh, yeah. at the 20 Books 50K conference. Yep. That's right. That's right. That very first year in 2017. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into writing? So I started writing about 14 years ago. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I just turned 30, which, you know, gives you a little date on my age there. <laughs> but I just turned 30 and I thought, you know... I, what, what, you know, what have I done for the first three decades of my life? What would I want my kids to know? That kind of thing. So I kind of wrote like a little kind of personal history mm-hmm. about, you know, what I did in high school and what I really liked and blah, blah, blah. And so it was really kind of really boring, but I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really written before. So I'm not one of those authors that's like, oh, I've been writing since third grade. <laughs> that's awesome that there's people like that, but it wasn't me. I actually took the AP English test as a junior so that I wouldn't have to take English as a senior. <laughs> I didn't like it. And if you passed that AP test, you didn't have to take English as a senior at my school. And I passed it, so I didn't have to take English. And then when I went into college, I went into education, secondary, as a chemistry major and a math minor, which is not anything really like creative writing or English or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I ended up switching to elementary, but I do have a physical science emphasis and a math minor as well. So um, I taught elementary school for quite a long time, and that's just what I was doing. And But about that year, it was about 2008 um, or so, to the end of 2007, ish so I guess only 13 years this is my 14th year writing mm-hmm. I wrote that personal narrative and I was like I kind of like this I think I'm gonna write a book so I did I sat down and I wrote a book and it was terrible because I didn't really know how to write a book mm-hmm. and so, but I liked it I mm-hmm. really liked it because for me and this might be TMI a little personal and people can skip past this part but for me, I'd had some personal tragedies in my life mm-hmm. at that time. And the writing allowed me to take those kind of negative emotions and those personal things that I was really struggling with and put them onto paper mm-hmm. for somebody else to deal with. Mm-hmm. So it almost became a therapy for me, the writing did. Mm-hmm. And it's very much still writing for me now. Like when I get irritated or annoyed or frustrated or things aren't going my way, 
that's what makes great fiction. So, wow, you, you should be really, really productive right now. <laughs> yeah, right? Things are quite <laughs> uncertain. Yeah. Yeah. So I take all those things, and I think it's really helped me personally. It really is like me going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And I can take those just things that I'm like, you know, everyone gets no annoyed at their husband. You know, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But I can, like, put all that stuff into something, into a story, into a character. I can put difficult situations that I see around me or that I see in my own family into the fiction and then I don't have to stew on it because I kind of mm -hmm. have a little bit of a stewing personality and so um and that can be quite negative for me so I really try to bleed all that out into the fiction and that's kind of how I started and I really loved that so much that I could get rid of those negative things inside myself and give them to somebody else who could overcome them mm -hmm. and find a happily ever after by the end because that's what I want. I want to be able to overcome mm -hmm. my annoyances, my frustrations, my hardships, my whatever, mm -hmm. and like get my happily ever after. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's great because it's helping you and it's also helping your readers. So yeah. that's very cool. So that's how I started. And it's just kind of been a bug since then. And then, of course, I've been to conferences and took tons of classes and just to try to improve, like, how do you actually write a book, mm -hmm. you know? so that I can do the best job there. Later. Yeah, but, yeah, that is very, very cool. And I, I like that it came out of something that was not a good thing for you and you've made it into something good. So that's very encouraging. So, so tell us, what do you think was your, your first big success? Um, okay, so as I was thinking about this, um, I think getting all the pieces together to publish a book is a huge success. <laughs> yes. I agree. <laughs> like when I think about it, um, all the different things you have to check off to do to have a book ready to hit publish or on pre-order day if you do pre-orders, that's a huge success. I think I do it so often now and have done it so much over the last six years that I forget how much of a success that mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a really big success. And, and you know, I am I'm still kind of a hybrid um, author. Like when people ask me that, I, I kind of say I'm hybrid, but really I'm more indie. But I did start in traditional publishing. I still have traditional published books out. I still get royalty statements and checks from my agents. I still have a subsidiary rights agent. Um, I still have live books with my traditional publishers. So for me, when I was thinking about this first biggest success, I thought first of my traditional publishing because that's where I started. Um, but the very first time I signed with an agent, was a massive success for me. Mm -hmm. um, and we sold that book less than two year, two weeks later and to Simon & Schuster, Simon Pulse. And we were a big six publisher. And I remember, I can remember it vividly. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at my kitchen table. We lived in this tiny little town home. Um, my husband was going to school um, at night. He was teaching classes at night for university and teaching school during the day. He was gone all the time. And so he was gone, and I was on the phone with my agent, and she called and said, you know, Anika made an offer, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die, and I'm, like, shaking. <laughs> you know, so I just wrote down on the post-it note what the offer was. And I was still on the phone with my agent when my husband walked in. Oh, my gosh, I might cry a little bit. So, it's just <laughs> but, I mean, I can just remember it so vividly. It was yeah, something yes. that I'd worked for 
for such a long time. I'd worked for it for like three years, I think, by the time that happened. And all I did was I held up the post-it note. And he was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> it was very exciting. That was a very big success for me. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There is a certain element of, because I'm traditionally published too in the beginning. And when you, if you're indie, you can keep at it, keep going and you can make it happen. But yeah. with the traditional world back when it, we first started, there was an element of being picked or chosen. Yes. And if you got that, it was like, it was like so exciting at the time. And now looking back, I go, well, that was great, but there were, there's better things now. <laughs> oh yeah, totally true. But so well, that's you know, so cool. Yeah. That was a very, very big success for me in my in indie publishing um, I think my biggest success was when I made four figures in a month. Mm -hmm. So I started my pen name Liz um, in September of 2015. And I kind of expected it to not really go anywhere. Um, that sounds kind of negative, And I don't want people to think that it is. But I'd heard people say, oh, I make more money with my self-publishing than my traditional publishing. And frankly, I didn't believe them. I had been... You know, in 2013 and 2014, self-publishing, we didn't have the Facebook groups that we have now. We didn't have the support. We didn't have conferences. We didn't have any of that. It was really kind of a, kind of a taboo thing and kind yeah. of what people did if they couldn't traditionally publish, right? Mm -hmm. So I self-published my first book in 2014. Um, I actually did it in 2011, but it was a novella, and I did have to sign a contract with Simon Schuster to be able to do that, and blah, blah, blah. But in 2014, I put out a YA novel. That's what I was writing at the time, and they didn't sell. And then I put out another one and another one, and they didn't sell, and they didn't sell, and I didn't make any money. And so literally, I thought everyone who says they're making more money in self-publishing than traditional publishing is just lying. Like, it's not true. <laughs> I couldn't do it for myself, right? And yeah. our, view, our view is very narrow. Right. But at the time, in 2014, the view was very narrow. I think now the view is so broad that, that it's an amazing, amazing thing what, what we can do. So I started publishing my pen name. Um, I had a few dark years in publishing where I almost quit, and I was like, this is worthless. Mm -hmm. Traditional publishing kind of chewed me up and spit me out, and was like, good luck on your life. And like that. <laughs> And so I, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I had kind of gotten some confidence back. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to publish a book every 11 weeks. And at the time, that was fast. Like, that was, I know people. That's do, still fast. That's still fast. <laughs> yeah. It is still fast. But I know people now are like, you can get them out every two weeks. And I'm like, at the time, I was like, if I'm going to do every 11 weeks. So I had put a book out in September and my next book was coming out in December and I decided to make book one free and I bought paid newsletter ads for it. That's, that's kind of what we did. Uh -huh. I didn't really have a newsletter. I didn't have a newsletter magnet. I didn't, I didn't have like the book, but book bub ads platform didn't exist. Um, AMS, uh, didn't exist. I think there were probably Facebook ads, but I didn't know about that. Um, so, I mean, I bought newsletter ads. And that December, I made $1,500 with those two books. That's and great. And so that was my first four-figure month in indie publishing. And I distinctly remember at the end of the month, because, you know, now I check my numbers, you know, every day. I'm going to say one day, <laughs> but that's a big lie. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> we all know 
know you're lying and it's okay because we would lie too. <laughs> I check my numbers once a day. Yeah, yes. right. But um, at the time, I just looked at the end of the month because I was like, oh, what did I make this month? And that $1,500 in December was more than I had made any the entire year of 2015 with my other self-published books. And wow. I had nine of them. And they were in the young adult genre, yes. some dystopian, science fiction, and then some contemporary. And that was more than I'd made in a whole year. So that was a really big success for me in my indie publishing. Yeah, that's really, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So um, what do you wish you'd known about marketing? So um, you were just talking about paid newsletters and stuff. So you now use Facebook ads? I do Facebook ads. Book bub ads? I do book bub ads. AMS ads? I do AMS. Wow. Um, so what do you wish you'd known, though, in the beginning about marketing and stuff like that? So I think that there's a lot of different parts to marketing. Mm -hmm. So there's like your social media content, and there's your newsletter, and there's just you as a person. Right. So I learned really early. I started teaching at conferences in 2010 and I've kind of been all over and, and I've talked to youth groups and libraries and librarians and then a lot of authors. Um, and I've learned that people don't even really have to be excited about your book. They don't even really have to read your genre. If they like you, they'll buy your book. Yes, so yes. I learned that really early. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that only sells so many books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it only sells uh, maybe like a hundred, I would say, literally. And I want to sell more than a hundred, and I want more than a hundred readers. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, when I was thinking about this question, I really started thinking about paid marketing. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I wish I knew about paid marketing? So not necessarily newsletter or magnets or social media content or, or you know, things like that, but ads, advertising, even buying the um, newsletter ads, mm -hmm. like BookBub and Robin Reads is what we're talking about when we talk about those paid newsletter ads. Mm -hmm. But what I wish I'd known sooner was about this concept of read-through. Mm -hmm. So, because I spent, I, I know I did, I wasted a solid year freaking out and turning my ads off because they quote-unquote weren't working. Because mm -hmm. I was advertising a book one, uh, usually a reduced price, 99 cents, and I was spending more than I was making. But I didn't really, I didn't understand the concept of read through. So, and I just didn't think that my ads worked. And so that was something that I really wish that I'd known about sooner mm -hmm. so that I could um, really think about marketing in a different way. Yeah. And when I learned that, it still took me a few months to really understand what that means. Right. Right. So that's yeah, and so let's for for our listeners who don't really understand what that is, why don't you explain that to them? So so I hope I get it right. So <laughs> if not, we'll we'll all jump in. But yeah, yeah. and we can edit. <laughs> yeah, when we can edit. <laughs> you know, if I've got six books in a series. Let's say, or even if I only have three, even if I only have one that comes after, the, if I have a series. And I'm advertising book one, and let's say it's 99 cents, so I'm only making 35 cents on it. And I'm spending $10 a day, but I'm only earning five. That can look like a fail. It looks like that book is failing. There's, there's, 
you're spending twice as much as you're making. Right. But really what you're doing is you're capturing a reader into book one and they might buy that book pretty cheaply and they read it and then they buy book two and suddenly your income goes up. So now what I do is I look at what I'm advertising on the series as a whole, holistically. So I'm supposed to, I mean, most people spend on book one. I do too. So let's say I'm spending $10 a day on book one. I don't look at book one I look at the whole series mm -hmm. so if that's two books or that's ten books I look at what the series is making and if the series is making 20 or 30 or 50 dollars a day then that ad gets to keep going that's a good ad that's bringing readers into my series into my brand and they're reading through so they read the book one and they read through to book two and to book three and to book four right. and all of that is income that is generated by that one ad on book one yep Right. And okay. I would say just for those that are listening that this is kind of a new concept. If you're if you've got multiple books in a series and you're selling book one, but then those people are not reading through to book two, there are a couple of things you need to look at. One, you need to look at just the content of book one. Is it the best book you can put out? And then two, does the mat the back matter in the back of your book lead lead the reader to your next book and if it doesn't you need to fix that and uh, there are multiple ways to do it you can put a chapter you can put a little just a little paragraph about it and the link in the back of the book but um, content and just quality of content on book one if that's poor it's going to make people not read through to the next book so you really want to look at those things also if yeah. you have a series that's that, that are standalones in a series and you don't um, like a lot of times people will have one couple that's the hero and heroine. And then the next couple is going to be in the next book, you know, but they're in this book a little bit that helps too. And um, yeah. so those are just things to look at. If you, if you're not seeing the read through that you think you should get. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the greatest part about being indie is that you can fix that. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Go back yeah. to the book and you can make those secondary characters that are the next couple in your next book, like Jamie just said, stronger. Mm -hmm. You can you can make their um, appearances a little bit longer so that people like them and want to mm -hmm. read the next book. Like right. you can do that in, you know, probably a couple of days and, and yeah. get that new manuscript uploaded and get that going. So yeah. 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 So this kind of leads into another thing we want to talk to you about specifically because you like, if you have a lot of books, you're more, it's easier to succeed, I think. And you're pretty productive and prolific. So do you have any, um, I know it's a huge, huge topic, but like looking back, do you think, uh, can you think of anything that would help people who want to be more productive um, and just like getting the books out, you know? Yeah, sure. So when I started writing, um, I had kids. I only have two kids and they're, they're six and a half years apart. So I don't have a lot of little kids close together. So that makes a big difference. But um, I think that everybody can start where they are and do something. So at the time I was teaching full time and I had a, you know, I think my son was 10 and my daughter was four. That's when I started writing. And um, so, you know, I was taking my daughter to daycare in the morning and putting my son on the bus and then going to work and working all day and picking my son up and daughter up at the daycare after and coming home and making dinner. And like I said, my husband was doing all this crazy stuff at night to basically try to make our ends meet because we're both school teachers in Utah, which pays their teachers 
the least amount of money in the entire union. Like they're number 50. So <laughs> we were pretty poor and we were just doing everything we could to, you know, hold it together and yep. pay the bills and stuff. So what I did and, and what I did is my son would get on the bus um, at 815. The bu- and I'd walk him over to the bus stop. It was just around the corner. And as soon as he got around the corner, it's not like I went with him. He's 10, you know, he's in fifth grade or whatever. And then I'd go home and, and we had to get loaded up and get ready to go take my daughter to daycare. And I had about 15 minutes and she would sit on the couch and she was ready by then. And we had everything ready for the day and she'd watch a little TV show. And during that 15 minutes, I sat down and I wrote. So I learned to write in a very kind of chaotic environment in very, very short snippets of time. So I think that's one tip that I can give to people is I, a lot of people that I talk to when I teach a productivity class or something like that, they'll say, well, you know, I need it to be silent. I need to be in my office. I need the door closed. If I hear anything, I'm completely pulled out. And and I think that's fine, but I think that some people think that that's how they work, but they don't really know that they can do other things. Right. So I learned that I can sit down at my kitchen counter while my daughter's watching TV for 15 minutes and I would set an alarm and because I, otherwise you kind of lose track of time (laughs) and I had to go to work. Like I couldn't just not show up for work. The kids don't, they show up. The kids show up. I can't call my boss and be like, Hey, I'm running late. You know, I'm not sitting at a desk. I have to teach. So I did. I set an alarm for 8.45 and I would sit down and I would just write. And when that alarm went off, I just stopped middle of sentence, middle of thought. It didn't matter. I stopped and I closed the computer and I said, let's go. And she grabbed her little backpack and we went to school and work. And teachers in my, at my school, we got a 30 minute lunch and I would sit down and write for about half of that. And then when I was waiting for my son, as he grew up, I would have to wait for him at junior high because they have different let out times. So I would yeah. sit in the pickup line for 15 or 20 minutes after school and wait for him and I would write. So I just learned that in those 10 or 15 minutes, I can, by the end of the day, I may have written for an hour, an hour and a half, and I have a whole chapter. And so that was something that I really did. If I didn't want to pull my computer out in the car, I typed on my phone with my thumbs. So I, I mean, you can do, and I could get two or 300 words. Like you think it's nothing, but it's something. Mm -hmm. And then my, I had little kids and activities and dinner and a husband and blah, blah, blah. But I really tried to work every night on my writing between nine and 11. So in the early years, that's what I did. I had two hours a day late at night and that's what I did. I wrote in 10 or 15 minute increments or I wrote late at night. And even now, sometimes around four or five in the afternoon, I start to panic because I'm at zero for the day. And I'm like, it's fine. You have like seven hours. Mm-hmm. You're fine. <laughs> like, it's fine. This, this is what just relax. <laughs> this is what you've been doing for 13 or 14 years. So I, like everyone asks, you know, oh, butt in chair first thing in the morning. I don't check email till I've written. I'm like, that works for you. So I think giving yourself permission is another tip. I had to give myself permission to not write like everyone else. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was really hard for me. I struggled with that for a long time um, because, you know, you hear people say, well, real writers write every day. And I was like, I don't write every day. Um, and I still don't write every day. I, there's just some days that I just don't. I have other things to do. I have a life. I have a family. I have dogs. I, I want to get out of the house. Like, 
whatever it is. And they, you know, or people will say, oh, you've got to write first thing in the morning or your words aren't good. And I believed all those people. And so it took me some time to just give myself permission to do what works for me. And so even now my most productive hours are between seven and midnight every night. Yeah. So I can. And and I think you're doing okay. Tell us, tell us how often you publish. I mean, so I have two names Mm -hmm. and Liz publishes every month. So she publishes on the regular first Tuesday of the month. And I sort of, sort of settled into that at the end of 2017. I tried several different rapid release strategies every six weeks, every three weeks, um, every 12, every 11 weeks. And then I did every, you know, every month and I sort of settled into that and I've been doing that ever since. And I really like that. It's very predictable. My readers know when it's coming. I can put up a pre-order. I love pre-orders. Um, and I just really like it. I can, I know what I need to do for her and she kind of functions like a really well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. So I do that and I've only had to delay one release in my time as Liz and that was just in February. So, um, I'm, I, I try to work ahead. I'm, I'm writing May's book right now. So I'm a little bit behind. I wish I was writing June's book, but I'm not. It's okay. And then Elena was doing, trying to do once a month as well. It got a little too overwhelming I got too far behind. Uh, I can't do the marketing the way I would like doing two books every month, publishable books. Mm. I can write the books. I can't get them ready to publish. Right. Right. So I backed Elena off and she is only doing every other month this year. So she published and she published a book in January and then her next book comes out in April. So I took February and March off for her. And she's going to do April and June and August and October, I think. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe December, we'll see. December has typically been a pretty good month for me for releasing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not anti-releasing in December, but um, I'm really busy at the end of the year. I found the last few years where I just would rather spend time with family and travel. And so I don't know if I'm going to publish in December this year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Liz will because she can write far enough ahead and, and you know, she's my main breadwinner. So I really try to feed her brand and feed her readers mm-hmm. um, with the books they like, but Elena might take a break in December. Right. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. And I feel like I'm settling into that really well. And I really like that schedule for myself. How long are the books? So that's another thing that um, really put me behind is I increased the length of my books. Oh, okay. Um, that's one thing that I needed to stop doing and that was really hurting my bottom line was my really short books. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Elena was writing really short books between 30, 30 and 40 K, which might be long for some people. I don't want to say they're really short, but they're, they're short. Um, and I'm in KU. And so getting a reader into KU, they have to read your book for you to get paid. Mm-hmm. If they borrow through KU, if they buy it, great. I don't, I mean, they can read it, but I still get paid. In KU, the goal is to get, they have to read for you to get paid. Mm -hmm. So I want them to read. And I was hooking readers into these 30K books, and then they have to read through. And everybody knows that your read through is not 100%. And I finally realized, you know, if I write a 60,000 word book, then, and I get people into that one book, I only need half as many people to make just as much money. Mm -hmm. So I started writing 60,000 word books for Elena 
last year, uh, I want to say, you know, end of the year, October-ish, mm-hmm. October, November. So her books are 60 to 65,000 words now. And Liz's books were about 50, 55, and I've increased those to 80. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she's she's writing 75 to 85,000 word books now, and that takes a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So I doubled Elena's books, and, I mean, 85,000 words takes a lot longer to write than 50. Mm-hmm. So I really have to give more time to the writing and I can't publish. I, I mean, I can't. I just do, you can. write, do you write on each pen name every day? Or, I mean, not every day, but when you write or. <laughs> yes. Every writing day I do. So I have a, I have what I call a core project that I'm working on every day. And that core project gets assigned a word count. Whatever the word count is, is however it's going to, whatever it's going to for me to finish that book and the allotted time that I give myself. Mm-hmm. So my core project right now is an Elena book. It's 60,000 words and I want to write it in two weeks, which is 12 working days for me because I never write on Sunday. And then, but honestly, it's about 10 working days because mm-hmm. I don't write. I usually take Thursdays off writing to do a lot of marketing. Mm-hmm. So, um, that gives me 10 working days and to write a 60,000 word book in 10 working days requires me to write 6,000 words a day. Uh-huh. So my word count goal for the core project is 6,000 words a day. Um, and then what I have is what I call my secondary project that's coming up next in the queue. So what I do in that, so in that two week period, the first week I only work on the core project. Uh-huh. So that's all I'm writing 6,000 words a day, say five days a week. By the end of that week, I've written half the book. I know the characters pretty well. I've done all, I do all the outlining first, all the character work first, all the setting stuff, like all that stuff's done. This is like hardcore, write fast, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm halfway through the book. So I feel like I know the book really well. I know where the book's going. I know where the characters are going. I know how to, like, I know, I know how to end it. Mm -hmm. So the next week, the second week of my writing project, I start a secondary project. Mm -hmm. That secondary project's goal is one chapter a day. Uh So this this week, I'm in my secondary project. This is my second week of my book. So I should finish my book tomorrow. And I'm on track to finish my book tomorrow. And I'm working in a secondary project as well. So my secondary project is one chapter a day. And I think I've written five chapters. I'm on chapter five today. I should write chapter five today. Um, and so then next week, my secondary project becomes my core project. Oh, okay. It's a Liz book. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll want to finish it in two weeks, mm-hmm. but I've already worked on it for one week, only one chapter a day. Right. So that book gets layered. So I work in layers. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It yes. makes sense in my brain. So I'll have worked on this Liz book for a week. Mm-hmm. I'll have maybe six chapters, maybe five. I'm real busy tomorrow, so I might not write a chapter tomorrow. Maybe five chapters. And what that does is that helps me finish the outline, finish the character work, figure out who the characters are, see if I'm on track. It's about five chapters, about 50 pages. I should be getting, you know, into Act 1, getting really close to their inciting incident, getting really close to how they're going to spend all their time together for the rest of the book. And, and that setup is kind of all done. Like act one is getting close to being done. Mm-hmm. Now that the books are a little bit longer, I'm not quite to the end of act one in this first week. But then next week I can hit the project and the goal will be whatever my word count goal is to finish that book in two weeks. So my guess is that I'm at about 10,000 words now. I've got to write 70 in two weeks. So my guess is that next week my goal for that 
book will be 7,000 words a day. And then what I do is I, that for that whole next week, all I do is work on that one book. And then I look at my secondary project that should be starting. And I'm like, do I have the outline done? Do I have the character work done? Because I should have been working on it for the last month. And so I go back to it. I look at it. What's coming up? Who is it? Do I have all these things in place? I get my documents ready. Um, I do any research I need to do. I might have to go over a previous book if it's in a series to make sure that I have yeah. kids' names and dates and blah, blah, yeah. blah, ready. And then, you so did yeah. you see that? Yeah. So one week I'm working on one book only, hardcore. The next week I'm working on two. Uh -huh. The first one, core project and a secondary project. The next week I'm working on a core project that was my secondary project. Mm -hmm. Preparing to start a secondary project, and then the next yeah. week I'm working on two. That's amazing. So I alternate. It's like a rolling schedule where yeah. you've you've got different projects going, and I I like the idea of starting and kind of getting going, but not giving it your total focus. I don't know that I could do that, but I think that's a really interesting way to try it. You know, because if you I always feel better if I get started and I've got like a couple of chapters in on a book, I'm like, oh, okay, at least I'm going. You know. I'm going yeah. and, and you know that secondary project I give myself a lot of leeway there if I'm tired if I've just finished my core project at 10 p.m. and I'm like oh, I've got this other chapter to write because honestly I can write a chapter in about an hour and you know it's only 10 p.m. I stay up till 12 or 1 every day so for me you know 10 p.m. is not bedtime so I'm like should I do it and sometimes I'm like I just don't want to and other times I, I just start and I start a paragraph I can do the whole chapter and I'm fine yeah yeah it's just so, the starting sometimes is the yeah trick. yeah yeah so well, that's that's how I work and it works for me well I have another question about um, the genres you write in so compared to contemporary romance Christian cowboy romance is a smaller subgenre but is is clean and wholesome a sm smaller subgenre too or and and how do you what are your tips for kind of making a splash in those smaller subgenres yeah that's that's a good question um i think clean and wholesome is is smaller mm -hmm. um clean and wholesome can apply to any any um subgenre within romance of course mm -hmm. So it can be contemporary, it can be Regency, it can be paranormal, right? Rockstar, billionaire, yeah. Yes, yes, it can be any of those things. It is going to be smaller than, say, your sexier, steamier genre, just, I think, in general. Mm -hmm. It's just, it appeals to a smaller subset of people. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, and I know this isn't, I think a lot of people might disagree with this, but I actually think that... Um, Clean and wholesome romance is, I think, I think it's amazing. I really like it. I think it's super flooded. And I think a lot of people are confused about what it is. I think a lot of people think clean and wholesome is Christian when it's not. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I always compare the two like uh, squares and rectangles. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have a math minor, right? So, um, people so now we're going to do geometry. Yeah. Now we're going to do some geometry. But, I'm getting nervous. <laughs> but you know how we talk about umbrellas? Can I go to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's like, i got to get out of the car. Um, but you know how there's umbrellas? Like, romance is the big umbrella. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then underneath that, there's other umbrellas. There's contemporary, and there's paranormal, and there's um, erotica, and there's, I mean, I can't even think of all of them. Yeah. But there's yeah. other genres underneath romance. And then underneath each of those, there's other genres as well. Mm -hmm. So I can niche down to sexy paranormals, and I can niche down to sexy rock stars, or I can do brides, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know? I can do regencies, I can do whatever. Mm -hmm. I can do historical cowboys. Mine are all contemporary cowboys. Which is, oh, you dogs. Like I can do all kinds of different things. So that's how I think of as um, rectangles. Rectangles mm -hmm. is your big umbrella. Mm -hmm. Like a rectangle is a quadrilateral with four sides, with four mm -hmm. right angles. That's all it is. Yeah. So anything that I mean, it can be any size, it can be tall or skinny or whatever. It has four sides, it has four right angles, that's a rectangle. So squares are rectangles, but rectangles are not squares. So um, does that make sense? Yes. Because yes. squares have more rules. So ah. that, that's how I feel about my Christian cowboys. They are also clean and wholesome romances uh -huh. because the clean and wholesome genre requires certain things that the Christian genre also requires. Uh -huh. But the Christian genre requires more. It's a square uh -huh. where the clean and wholesome romance is a rectangle. So it doesn't require as much. The okay. clean and wholesome romance, I mean, sorry, the Christian, they want Christian content. That's uh -huh. what they want. And depending on who you talk to, depends on what kind of Christian content <laughs> decide what a Christian romance really is. Right. So I think for me, I'm very niched down in that Christian market. And I went even further where Liz only writes cowboys. Mm. She doesn't write anything else. She doesn't write rock stars. She doesn't write Christian rock stars. She doesn't write Christian billionaires. She doesn't write Christians on the beach. She doesn't write Christian brides. She, she writes Christian cowboys. So I'm even farther down in. And I think what that allows me to do is really target my marketing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why she's able to do um, as well as she does. So I think that might be a tip for people. I think it's a very, I think most markets now are pretty saturated. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to find a way to do something that is similar, but not the same. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That, that's hard to do. If you a don't know what it is, and I would submit that nobody knows what it is, so we're all trying to find that target, and b when you don't have money to do it. Yeah. So those are the two limiting factors that I found for um, indie authors specifically when we're trying to sell our books. Number one, we want to make sure that they are hitting a target somewhere. Uh -huh. um, and it's hard if we don't really know what that target is or we don't understand what that genre conventions are. Uh -huh. So read widely. If, you, if you're looking, hey, I really want to publish a, a Christian romance, you should read a bunch and see what they are. There is some leeway in those. I call mine Christian light. Mine are, mine are not as Christian as others I've read, but they still fit within the genre conventions that readers expect. Uh -huh. So meeting that reader expectation is really important. Um, I can also market to the clean and wholesome genre, of course. Um, I'm not going to get as much read-through from them that I do from my Christian market, but it is a big market, and I can, um, uh, I can market to them. I also market to people who like Westerns in general. Mm -hmm. 
So that sounds a little strange, but I market a lot to Lauren Landish because she's got the Tannen boys and the Bennett boys. Oh, yeah, but could not be more opposite than what you're riding. Right, not yeah. more opposite, right? But she is a really good target for me, and I get a lot of clicks. And I'm not 100% sure on the conversion on those because I'm only using AMS for that because I can't target her on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see what my click-through rate is for her and her books and the things I the keywords I use for her, and I mean I don't know if I'm getting KU or I don't know if I'm you know I can see all the the sales obviously you can see those but I know she's in KU and she's a good target for me and I keep targeting her. Mm-hmm. So I think that romance readers will read all across the spectrum, mm-hmm. and so I don't think those should be discounted. It, am, is she going to be my first target? No. My first target is very closely related to what I'm doing. And once I've kind of nailed those targets, I expand a little bit. And then I expand a little bit more. And then I expand a little bit more. And so since I've been advertising for a long time and have a lot of books and have been publishing those books for a long time, I can expand. Right. For people who are starting out new, I would start very close. Start very, very very close and see who you can convert on. And when you're advertising and, and things like that. So... I think when we're trying to break into those genres, coming back to the question of what would we do in, in, in our genre, is is really understand the genre. Put your book in the right categories, yes. not the categories that you're going to get a bestseller flag for. Preach, so, preach, preach. Yeah, that was something <laughs> that really, that kind of threw me for a loop for a lot of 2017 when that happened, because I'd been publishing these Christian romances for a while, and like... You know, when you clicked on the categories, like it was Christian romance, and now it's really not. When you click on those Christian categories, you're just getting a lot of clean and wholesome. And I understand why the authors do it. I don't want to bag on them. I'm not upset with them, you know, but their books are not Christian. But they do fall under clean and wholesome. But the problem is on Amazon, you only get one category for clean and wholesome. Yeah. And the Christian categories and the religious categories, there are many of them, many, many. So a lot of people are putting their clean and wholesome books in those categories because they want more categories for their books. Right. And I understand that, but that was something that I really had to change as I saw those changes in my genre. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, whoa, what's going on? What? This book isn't Christian. I bought a bunch of them. I'm like, these aren't Christian. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, what's happening? But that's just the nature of publishing Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. is things change and you kind of have to change with them. Mm -hmm. So I I keep putting my books in those categories um, because my books fit in those categories. But I do think that's important. You want to put your book in the right category. Right. And then when you're so that when you're advertising, you can focus on what's very, very close to your book and then expand after that. So I think a lot of people um, market to clean and wholesome and then they market to Christian as well. Um, But Christian is actually smaller than clean and wholesome. So I don't know. I don't know. I think you're going to get both. So I think it's really interesting that. Because it's counterintuitive. You would think that by going narrow, you'd be limiting yourself. But by going narrow, you're actually able to reach the exact people that you want. And with the world the way it is now, the internet, you can find your readers. And uh, yeah, I totally agree too about the categories and 
there's things now in my categories that I'm like, no, that's really not a mystery. That's like a small town romance, but right. you know, so it's, it's happening everywhere. It and I think, everywhere. yeah. So I think just kind of keeping on with focusing on who we're trying to appeal to is, yeah. is the main thing to do. And then, yeah. And so I do think you're right. Niching down feels counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, mm-hmm. it really does. You're right, and I thought that too. And I still think it. I still think, <laughs> why does Liz sell more books than Elena? It makes no sense. Elena has a quote unquote bigger potential audience, but she's not as niched down. And I think people really do like to read exactly what they like to read. They will expand. They will move around. But in the end, we typically, as human beings, come back to what we really like. Yeah. Yeah. Or they may have, like, I'm in the mood for uh, Western today. Or, you know, the world's so crazy, I want to go read a cozy mystery. You know, so they may read different genres. a romantic comedy. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they want to escape into a fun romance room. I love romantic comedy. I love them. I love watching them on TV. I love movies. I love reading them because they are, they're fun. And they, they, they're like, there's good in the world and this is going to be okay. You know? So, and I think that Christian fiction does a lot of the same things for people. And I think a lot of romance does that for people. And I think cozy mysteries are fun. And I wish I could write one. I just don't know. <laughs> and so, you know, I think I think fantasy is is a really good escape for people. I loved writing fantasy when I was doing that. Um, it's just a good escape for people, and people need that. And so I just think that that's what literature and writing and books can do for people. But I do think that people have certain things that they really like. And those are the people that I want in my reader group, my review crew, my newsletter, because they will buy everything I write. Now, Elena, since she's broader and she's done paramedics and she does firefighters and she does billionaires and she does rock stars and she's kind of all over under the big umbrella, people are like, huh. I don't like billionaires, but I don't really care about, you know, this rock star. I don't really care about this uh, motorcycle club or whatever. They just don't, they don't buy everything Mm -hmm. that you write. Right. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a good segue into one of our other questions is um, because like we made certain assumptions like we all did when we got started. And so um, as you've figured out more about your genre and how you figured out how to narrow down, um, what else do you look back on and think, oh, I could have done this differently. I could have done this better. Um, or maybe that wasn't a good use of my time. Oh, my gosh. So many things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Stay no, tuned. <laughs> Part two coming up. Stay tuned for our week-long longer, series. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I think the longer that you publish and work in publishing and write, the more you you learn, right, obviously. And so I, I don't like to say that I regret doing things. I like to say, I did that. I tried that. It didn't work for me in my genre, so I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I do think that we have to go back and examine that third part where it didn't work for me. I hear that a lot when um, I teach ads. Oh, that doesn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Oh. And I'm like, okay, well, did it really not work or do you not understand the data? Yeah. Um, and if it really didn't work, because I have things like that too, that, but I really try to revisit them every, every three 
to six months and go, did this really not work or was it November? Did this really not work or was I targeting wrong? What can I do differently? Did this really not work or does that make sense? Yep. yep. So I really think that as indies, we have to question that this doesn't work for me statement. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like for every indie is different. But for me, what that looks like is I go, did this really not work or what else can I do? Fill in the blank. Should I try to promote this series? Should I recover it? Should I try again at a different time of year? Should I try a target that I think doesn't work for me again? Uh, looking at their catalog now, six to 12 months later. So I think that third part there, I tried it. I heard about this. I tried it. It didn't work, so I don't do it. That third part always needs to be reevaluated. Because yeah. um, those assumptions that we make, um, we need to question those, I think, from time to time. Otherwise, we can become very fatalistic. And maybe that's just my personality. But I can become fatalistic and I can be like, well, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. So my books don't sell. So that's why I'm not making any money. And I would rather have the view of there are more readers that I can reach. I just need to figure out how to do it. Right. There's There are more people out there. I just need to find them. There is more for me. I just need to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. I can write a better book. I just need to learn how. I can market better. I just need uh, to talk to somebody new. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's kind of my mindset is I really try hard to think there's more. I just need to find it right. and I need to be patient to find it it's not gonna happen overnight but that's okay so some things that I do kind of look back on and go this is these aren't a good use of my time I'm not gonna do these anymore and some of these might be kind of unpopular but for me it's swag I don't make swag anymore I I used to I used to have tons of swag and bookmarks and you know buttons and ribbons and stickers and booklets and it's all sitting in my storage room and I don't do anything with it so yeah. I don't spend time and money on swag anymore. And that might work in certain genres, but for me in my genre, I've decided this, and I don't do in person a lot of in-person things as an indie. Um, I don't enjoy them, and so I don't do them. So I really don't have a need for swag, so I don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't do Facebook parties anymore. Every time I do, I wonder why am I doing this? There's five people here. And I'm pretty sure that these are just my friends that want to win something that I don't do this anymore. So I uh, cater to my own people in my own groups. Right. So my reader group and my review crew, I am for them. Um, but I don't do anything in other groups or parties or joint author things anymore. I find that it's not really getting me the target readers that I want. Um, it might be fun for me. It might be fun for the other authors, but for me, in terms of bottom line and getting more readers that I want into my readership, not something I want to do. I just mentioned I don't do a lot of in-person signings because I don't like them. Number one, and I don't find them to be super um, generation generating new readers or sales for me. So I don't do that. Um, the bulk of what I do is ebook and I have tons of paperbacks that you can get online and I don't really need to be in a store doing a signing. So I don't do that. I don't do co-writing or collaborations anymore. So I used to do a ton of those. I did a ton of collaborations, box sets, anthologies. I did a ton of co-writing. I did Kindle World for a lot of 2017 and 18 and 
even into 2019, I had a group project that was going and I didn't really see much benefit for me. I didn't see tons of new readers. And so I just, I'm, I'm a lone horse now. I just do my own thing. And I see tons of people still doing them and advocating for them, so I don't want to say they're bad. But for me, I feel like I spent two years plus well, some of last year, and I don't know, it's not my thing, and didn't really see a lot of uptick for me in the things that I would want to see uptick in. Right. So I don't do those anymore. Um, I don't read my reviews. Also something that you know a lot of people advocate that you should do, I don't do that. So... <laughs> Well, that's good. I think that's uh, for me. It's not a good use of my time. So, um, I have people who email me and tell me things about my books, and I read them and I will respond to them. And I, that's fine. I I do see a lot of merit in what they're saying, and and that's okay. And I have actually changed a couple of things based on what a reader said. But I had a reader in my last series in one of my books, and she really, really did not like something that my hero did. And she really, really wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not going to change that. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been heavily edited by lots of people. I worked with New York editors for many years. I have freelance editors that I hire to do edits on my book. I have no problem changing things. Um, I, you know, I'm not married to a lot of plot points. I know that I can make my characters better based on feedback, but there are some things where I go, you know, what? I'm, I'm the, I'm the creative and this is what this has to be. And then what happened is that was book four when book seven came out, this hero. So I kind of wrote these family sagas, like when book seven came out, I think it had 15 or 16 narrators in it. It's wow. still, it's still a romance. <laughs> It's a, it's a romance. So the hero and heroine are the main narrators, but a lot of romance have two narrators, right? Yes. Right. So what I decided to do with this series is I just, there were seven sons. I decided they were all going to narrate. I thought, you know what, this is what I want to do. And this is what I want to write. And I'm going to see how it goes. And it, it's been my absolute best selling series ever. Wow. Um, it's my longer books. So they're longer. They're 80, 85,000 words. And my readers are ravenous for them and they're super upset the series is over and they want more and they want more they're like write a second generation maybe they can have an eighth brother they didn't know about like they want <laughs> and so or a stepfather yes or a cousin a cousin <laughs> they, they you know your reader and you know i took that from reader cues so i'm not saying don't listen to your readers right what I'm saying is, in my reviews, my critical reviews, I don't necessarily take that and change what I'm doing. So it sounds like you gave up things that you really weren't seeing any kind of return on investment on, but you concentrated on things like your writing, like giving your readers what they want, where a Facebook group or a signing isn't necessarily going to reach that many people, but you... you um, kind of catering and giving to them as the creator, you know, and as you want to do, um, you're reaching more people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a better use of your time. I think it's that's a better awesome. use of my time. And I think if you don't have a reader group to that, you can ask, mm -hmm. I just ask my people. So I have a big newsletter and I have a, a reader group and a review crew and I worked hard to build those. I've been building them for Five years so I don't want people to be like oh I don't have these things what do I do you can read your reviews um, 
but I don't choose to do that. I choose to ask my people, what do you think about this? So I try to do uh, like a book club, a monthly book club, and it's not monthly. But I ask people, what did you like about, and we have a book of the month, usually one that just came out, and I don't give it to them for free. Like they've got to buy it to read it. It's like a book club. And um, I ask them, what did you like about it? What did you not like about it? What did you like about her? What did you like about him? What did you think of the go yoga? What did you think of the whatever it is? And I take the, the, those cues from the people that are reading my books and I listen to what they want. Because ultimately, if you want to sell books, you have to give the readers what they want. Right. right. Um, and so I've been trying really hard to do that um, as Liz for quite a long time. And I think that's why Liz is just more successful. Right. Um, Elena, I think, chases tropes a little bit more. She is not as niche down. She is just really trying to to chase after something, and she doesn't really know what it is. Okay. And Liz is like, this is what I do. I'm not going to change what I do. Right. And But I'm going to listen to my readers. I'm going to give them what they want. Right. So anything that doesn't really attribute to that, I don't do anymore. Right. Well, that brings us to an, a good, our next question, and and really something I'm interested in is what changes have you seen in these two genres over the last few years? So number one, the biggest change I think is um, we talked a little bit about the, the genre, the categories mm-hmm. and like what makes a clean romance and what makes a Christian romance because there's been such a huge insert of authors writing in those genres um, those sort of conventions and rules are kind of liquid okay. and they mean different things to different people. So um, that's been a huge change in, in the genres that I've been writing in uh-huh. that you kind of have to go, okay, h- how do I label my books to make sure that they reach people I want them to reach? Um, and like I said, once I expand a little bit, I'm not really too concerned if I'm getting somebody who loves Lauren Landish reading one of mine as well. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, I really want to reach people that just want a book just like mine mm-hmm. so that um, it's being shown to the right people through Amazon. Mm-hmm. That's a, a big lesson that I learned as well, that I really want the right people to be buying my book in the beginning. So, uh, and, and by beginning, I, I mean probably like the first, I don't know, what would you say, like the first three months? Yeah. Like yeah. for sure, like so that yeah. that also bought row and and the ads that you're doing, and who you show up on their page, mm-hmm. and when you click on their author page, you know you might be over on the left hand side where it says other authors they've mm-hmm. bought. You know mm-hmm. that that has to be really correct. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to email my mom who likes Brandon Sanderson and be like, buy my new book because. <laughs> That's just not what I want. And right. so I think for for those genres that are really flooded, that was something that I really had to learn. Because before, you know, um, I sold a clean and wholesome romance um, to a, a publisher in 2015. So it, it's been a thing, but it wasn't really a big thing, especially in the indie world. And, I mean, Amazon didn't even have a category for it for years. Mm-hmm the clean and wholesome and until like 2017. And so we've seen a huge 
surge of that, mm-hmm. huge surge. And basically what we do is what I think most people do is we look at what's selling really, really well in the sexy genre, and then we write a clean version of that. Huh. <laughs> so it's a little hack. Yeah, it's a little life hack there. But in 2018, that was billionaire, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sexy billionaire is huge. And, I mean, it's still huge, right? Yeah. Jan Scott yeah. and... I mean, by Keelan and, mm-hmm. and all those, right? And so what What a lot of clean authors were like, well, I want to write romance, but I don't want to write the sexy times, so I'll write this clean, and now there's a clean awesome category, and let's do billionaires. And so billionaires just was this huge, massive thing. And I, little tip, I think billionaires are still a huge, massive thing. You just have to pair it something else so what I did is I paired it with my Christian cowboy and so my Christian cowboy billionaires have done phenomenally well because I took something that is is appealing a trope that's appealing and I made it a little bit different Mm -hmm. so that goes along with what I said earlier about taking something that is the same but the similar is similar, but doing something different. Right. Well, um, so you've given us tons of great information and lots of great tips. So um, just to wrap up, what's the best thing that you've done to set yourself up for success in your author career? Oh, this is so hard because there's so many good things. (laughs) So many good things. So I have several, but I'll talk really fast. So the very, very, the very, very best thing that I ever did for myself is not even really writing related, but that was when I hired an accountant to handle all of my bookkeeping and taxes. Wow. Good, I, good point. And I, perfect I, tip for tax time. Yeah. Yes. I am not even kidding you. I was a ball of anxiety from October to April every year because my October money is what I get at the end of December, at the end of December, right? So that's the money that I would use to pay my taxes. Am I making enough money in October? Oh my gosh, I might not have enough to pay taxes. What about November? Oh my gosh, it's a huge slump. It it was horrible. I was a quivering mess for six months out of the year because I never really knew how much taxes I would need to pay because I wasn't a corporation. Everything was done on my personal taxes. Nothing was separated. So the day that I finally decided to be a big girl and form a business is the day that everything in my life got better. So that has been, that has helped me achieve more success because I'm not a quivering mess. I can write year round now. Mm -hmm. Somebody else pays my taxes for me every month. I don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. I never think, am I going to have enough money to pay for this? Because I, I do it. I pay, they do it. Mm -hmm. They balance my books every month. I have a corporation. They take care of all of it and I pay them to do it, but it is the best money I've ever spent. So that's, that's my number one. My number two is my mailing list. Um, I do think that it, it helps me sell more books than almost anything. So I can send my email to my people with a sale and get myself on bestseller lists and things just with my own mailing list. And so then I can do, I count that as like a paid newsletter. Mm-hmm. So I'll put that on a day and then I book newsletters on other days because my mailing list is big enough and has been cultivated enough to do that. Um, I, I, it's real, I'm real personal with them and it's almost an outlet of therapy for me to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So they like that. And that's a really big thing I've done. 
The another thing I've done is build my review crew. Um, they really can boost my my books with lots of reviews, and they love my books. And I'm happy to give them to them just so that I can have those reviews. And I work hard to cater to them as well. And then another thing that I've done for myself that I think has really helped my success is my pricing strategy um, because I don't like to release books for low prices. I like, I'm kind of a diva with my prices. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is a tier for pricing for every author out there. Um, and I know Jamie was at the Romance Author Mastermind. Mm -hmm. We talked about pricing as well last fall. And that was a big eye-opener for me. I think I had done it unconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, but I even raised my prices after that. I did too. I'm at yeah. $5.99. Yeah. So yeah. I have increased some of mine to four. And then my long ones, because I think your books are a little bit longer as well. Yeah, they are. Um, I raised to $5.99 as well. And I just thought, you know what, I, I, that pricing strategy has helped me just with my bottom line because I can still sell books at this price, which I didn't believe at the time. I do think this is a little caveat. I've talked about this in my, my indie inspiration group is I do think that you have to have a book to back it up though. Yeah. Like I can't take one of my Elena 35,000 word romances and put it at five ninety nine. I don't think that that is, is the right thing to do, but I can take my Liz 85,000 word book and put it at $5.99. Right. So I think that you have to have a book to match the pricing. Right. Um, and I still have books at $3.99 and I still have books at $2.99 and then some others that I think, you know what, maybe I can try this price point. Then I try it and I see how it goes. Okay. But I think that pricing strategy of, um, kind of, you know, my books are, are, I don't want to be arrogant, but my books are good and I want to put them at a price where I can make a, a living wage. Yeah. Well, and um, I, think, I think you need to have the reviews to back it up and also a cover that backs up a five, mm -hmm. you know, a four ninety nine book or a five ninety nine book. I mean, you can say I got a great book, but if you don't have the reviews to back that up, then readers are not going to agree with that. Right. Yeah. And you can probably get some people to take it, but they'll start to leave reviews that yeah. it wasn't worth it. Yeah. So you really do have to have the whole package. And this, of course, is subjective, right? right. Because, I mean, we all read books that we don't like that are bestsellers and have thousands of reviews, good reviews. Yeah. yeah. Like, what, what am I missing? But Jamie's right. You need to have a good cover. You need to have a good blurb. You need to have a good book. So that when somebody buys the book for five ninety nine and opens it and reads it, they think they've gotten five ninety nine for it. Right. So that that book that's inside of what you're advertising is also really important. And you'll know. Um, I think. I think you you'll know if if it's not your reviews will start to reflect it. Um, you'll you'll hear. You'll people will talk to each other. You won't get people signing up for your newsletter. Like, I think that's a good indication of it. So I only do organic signups now in my newsletter. And, you know, it's at the back of every book. But I know which books I'm really pushing. I'm not spending money on every book. I'm only spending money on a couple. And I know if I'm getting newsletter subscribers from those books or not. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it ebb and flow based on which book I'm pushing. 
Like I can see that I get more newsletter subscribers when I push this book mm -hmm. than when I push book B. And it's because right. they like book A better. Right. Right. And so if you're not seeing growth in your infrastructure, mm -hmm. in your newsletter, in your followers, in your, in your groups, then you get people buying your book, but you're not really increasing your readership. Right. And you want to do both. Your ad money, your ad money should be doing both. Right. Right. That's but a very that's good point. That's a very good point. And something that I honestly did not think about until probably the middle of last year. You know, and, and I've been spending money on ads since day one, but um, it's not just visibility, it's visibility and then retaining those readers that come in and, and boost up your business. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Well, uh, Elena, tell people where pe uh, they can find you. So the best place to interact with me is on Facebook. But if you're interested in, in talking more about indie publishing and, and those kinds of things and learning more about what I do or don't do or why I do it or why I don't do it or what I'm trying or what I'm failing at, that would be the best place. To okay, great. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us. This has just been awesome, and um, we appreciate it so, so much. Yeah. Thank thanks. You. It was great to talk to you. Yes, nice talking to you, too. Thanks, you guys. Happy quarantine. Hey. Yes, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.